We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Patrick Hamilton, the Campus Pastor of Ministries and Interim Kids Pastor at Rolling Hills Community Church's Nashville Campus. Today, we're continuing in our Advent series. In today's sermon, Pastor Nick will be teaching from Luke 1, focusing on the theme of love and God's ultimate display of love in sending His Son, Jesus. Now, here's Nick. trying to take like a last minute caffeination moment and as we get started today we're literally gonna we're gonna fly down I-65 at about 85 miles an hour today as, as we enter into maybe one of the, my favorite parts of the Christmas story in terms of of our study this year in Luke chapter one because this one has about as many cross references to other parts of scripture as we'll encounter for the rest of the season and I think that's how we understand scripture the best not just when you see the specific parts of a story but when you can tell how it connects to all the other parts of the story you know you really have the story. On Christmas morning, we always started out exactly the same as a family. And this year, Nora Blake got to be a part of something where she was asked, hey, what's your favorite family Christmas tradition? She's our middle child. She's 12 going on 13. And I I think she could basically run our household if at any given moment, Susan and I decided just to completely check out her favorite part of Christmas. And the way that we've always done it is the nativity scavenger hunt. So somehow on Christmas Eve night, like last minute, Susan and I will take all the little plastic characters from our Fisher-Price nativity set and we'll hide them at different spots in the house. And first thing that we do, no presents, no breakfast, no any sort of, I mean, maybe you could like go to the restroom, brush your teeth, whatever, because that's important. But the first thing we're going to do as a family on Christmas morning is gather around the tree and open up scripture and read the Christmas story. And as we get to a character, there is also a clue And all three kids get to run and ransack the whole house. They're getting older, so we need to make the clues more difficult. They're literally running all over. Maybe we'll send you all over the neighborhood this year. I have no idea. Like downtown, go to the Bat Building. That's where you're going to find the shepherds. I don't know. Like we're going to send them all over the place looking for the different parts of the nativity story and bring them back and continue to read it and see how God assembled all these people together to accomplish his incredible God-sized purpose. Norma Blake loves that moment. All our kids do. And she celebrates that this year. She's always been more of, she's working in kids ministry this morning, so I can talk about her as long as I want to. Okay. So she's always been like, I don't know where she gets it. She's have a little flair for the dramatic. She's maybe our most dramatic child. When her little brother was born, this is one of my favorite Norma Blake stories of all time. When her little brother was born, we were, we were very excited to tell the girls that they were going to get a sibling. And I remember one night we gathered around the kitchen table and we had figured out from an ultrasound, you know, that it was in fact a boy. We didn't have one of those yet. And we gathered around the table and Lily Kate, we said, what do you think mommy's going to have this time? Lily Kate's like, I think it's a boy because we don't have one of those yet. Logic right there. You know, I think it's a boy. We don't have one yet. Okay, great. We even had a girl dog at the time. Okay. So then Nora Blake says, "Mm, it's a girl. She was four years old. It's a girl because I don't like boys. (laughs) And we push the present across the table and we let them open it up. And it's like literally like the most gender specific toys and onesies ever. I mean, we're not talking yellow or gray. It's like navy blue with an airplane on it. And it's clearly for a baby boy. And the girls open up the present. We go, okay, girls, what do you think it is? And Norbert goes, ah, it's a baby. <laughs> we had known that for weeks. Lily Kate looked at her and she's like, no. It's a boy. Lily Kate mastered the art of, 
No, and the funny face that you make when people say something kind of silly at a very young age. So fast forward a couple of months and Simon is born. And one of our former Rolling Hills interns had had gone on to be a missionary and he had literally been spending a year in Africa and he comes home for a friend's wedding and he's in the parking lot at the Franklin campus and he sees my girls like uh, five and six for the very first time in a really long time and he looks at him and he says, girls, I heard you guys got something new at your house. And Norblake says, "Ah, a -a (laughs) Build-A-Bear. Lily Kate said, no, he means a brother. I think there was maybe a little part of Norblake in the moment that was holding out to say, I don't know how good this gift is that we've been given. And I think that we all do that. Maybe especially with the the familiar parts of the Christmas story. I don't like boys. Maybe the jury was still out. I'm happy to report that Norblake does love her baby brother a lot. And we ask ourselves today this question as, as we continue to circle the drain around the Advent idea of hope and the advent idea of peace now landing on the advent idea of love do you truly love the lord jesus and regardless of how familiar this christmas story is have you truly heard the news here's what i'll say today on the, on the offset as we begin our study about jesus you don't love the lord until you know the extent of his love for you. And you don't know the extent of his love for you until you know how unlovely you are. And y'all are in a great place. I can't believe some of y'all came out of the house looking like that this morning. Man. If it were only that simple. We don't truly love the Lord until we know the extent of his love for us. And we do not know and understand the Lord's love for us until we know and accept and understand how unlovely we are. But I'm glad that you guys are here. And I'm glad that it's Christmas. And Christmas is a time of year when, when more people assemble to hear the story and more people assemble to go to church and more people, according to statistics, are, are open to an invitation to church. In fact, the research has already been conducted and is already out. Not only will more people attend a physical church service this year at the invitation of a friend than ever before, but people will actually jump in and attend an online church service at the invitation of a friend like never before. So, so don't discount anybody in your life, the people that are, that are ready and at a point where they're willing to come back to an in-person service, extend the invitation. Christmas Eve, we've multiplied the number of services that we have for the express purpose of one, getting all y'all in the room. Yeah, that's great. I, I do love you, by the way. But no, getting people that have never been in the room inside the room. Be- because if it's, in fact, they are more willing to come and be a part of something and hear something and understand something, then, then let's do everything that we can to make it available to them. And don't discount anybody that you know, because if there's somebody that you know that's literally not ready to come back to an in-person service, make the invitation for them to join you online. And if they'll accept, that's a great thing. Side note, let's just invite people to come to church, get the invites out. First blank in your notes this morning, if you like to fill things in and write down the cross references and underline stuff as we go, it's literally this question. Have the people around you, but then even just you, have you truly heard the news? 
Because to truly hear the news about Jesus means to completely believe in Jesus. And so you have not truly heard the news about Jesus until you have completely believed this news about Jesus. And not just somebody else's made up version about Jesus, but what scripture literally tells us about this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords. Romans 10, 17 says this, consequently faith, the faith that you have in God literally comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word that is about who? Jesus Christ. And we're not just talking about hearing it to the point of where you understand it to where you yourself could get up on a Christmas morning and read the nativity story and tell the kids where all the scavenger hunt pieces are so they could bring it back together and answer any question. Dad, how many shepherds were there? Well, let's talk about what scripture says. We don't know because it doesn't give us an answer, but we can do some historical study and find out. Like, you know the story so well, but that does not mean that you've heard the message. Just because you know the names of the characters and the plot twists along the way does not mean that you've heard the news. Acts chapter 15 says this, verse 21, for the law of Moses, this, this, this Old Testament scripture, the law of Moses, and probably including the prophecies, because we know that Jesus was called on to read those in a synagogue himself. And when he walked into the synagogue in the book of Luke chapter four, in his own hometown of Nazareth, they handed him the daily reading of the day, and it was the prophet Isaiah. And so we know that scriptural readings were a part of the everyday rhythm of the good Jewish life. And it says in Acts 15, 21, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it's read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So you can read the story on the synagogue every single Sabbath. You can come every single Sunday morning and read what this word has to say and still not hear and receive the message. This to the Jew, you're talking about this Old Testament passages of scripture, Genesis, Eschatos, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua, I mean, we literally go all the way to the end of the book of Malachi. It was literally their most sacred and most important text. Literally every single part of their everyday life hinged on the words that were written down in this book. It was their good news. It was their history. It was their story. It was their prophecy. And every single part of it, like even the parts that are really unfamiliar to us, like maybe the book of Amos, every single part of it was completely familiar to them. So when you get to these New Testament characters, the ones that we watch usher in the baby Jesus, like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary, you know that they have been immersed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way to Malachi, their whole lives, they understand and they know every single thing there is to know about this story. History tells us that they didn't just read it. The Jews recited it. And they didn't just recite it, they sang it. In fact, historians tell us that it was really commonplace for Jews to gather around the table at night and before they got up, they would literally just start singing scripture together. It's like a musical when people just at random break out into song and the song propels the action forward and everybody joins you in a chorus, it's like a flash mob and everybody knows the exact same words and the exact same lyrics and all of the choreography, you wish, like I do, that your life could be that kind of musical. Like randomly, we would just all of a sudden be in the streets this afternoon walking into a restaurant. Now I'm going to pay my bill. And like we'd be so excited about everything that goes on. We wouldn't just tell the story of our day. We would sing the story of our day. And we wouldn't just tell the story of Scripture. We would sing the story of Scripture. That's our carols. That's our hymns. That's our, as much as I don't always love them, that's our Christmas songs. Those are the sounds of joy, the sounds of hope, the sounds of peace, the sounds of love, the sounds of Christmas. And so we celebrate those week after week as we dive into scripture. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in primarily chapter one today. I need to know if you've heard the news. 
Because if you have heard the news, if you've truly heard this news, then you have completely believed. And if you have completely believed this news, then you have wholeheartedly submitted your life to it. It's the news of overwhelming love. First John 3 says, see what love the Father has lavished, bestowed, granted, given to us that we should be called the children of God. And this is the story of God lavishing that love on us. It says in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried down to the hill country of Judea. And so basically, the angel has visited her and told her that she's going to have a baby, and his name is Jesus, and he's going to fulfill all the prophecies in Isaiah. And this is a really big moment. And so at that time, she decides to go and be with her cousin Elizabeth. Where is Elizabeth in this story? If you go back to verse 24, it says that after this, we're talking about the prophecy that's going to bring John the Baptist into the world. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. This was a big deal because she was old. She became pregnant, and for five months, she remained in seclusion. That's 2020, right? We just remained in seclusion. Like that's what she did for the first five months of her pregnancy. She just stayed home in quarantine, wore her mask, didn't go anywhere. And then in verse 26, it says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she's clearly coming out of quarantine. In the sixth months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's when the angel visited Mary. And then after that occurrence, we get down to verse 39. It says, okay, here I am. Lord says, I'm going to be pregnant. I know what I'll do. I'll go visit my cousin Elizabeth. Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, she's six going on seven months pregnant. She's, she's really showing at this point. It says in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says in a loud voice. I don't know if it says in a loud voice because she's old. I don't know, sometimes when we FaceTime with my father-in-law, he yells at the screen, you know, because when you just, you want to know, make sure that people can hear you. So maybe, maybe she yelled because she was excited. Maybe she yelled because she just couldn't hear that. I have no idea. But she yelled in the moment in a loud voice. She exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you bear. And this is not the same blessed that you get when you go down to the Beatitudes and like happier those who mourn, happier those who, happier that they'll be comforted. Like you get all those Beatitudes of Jesus. This blessed means praise. So we say, praised are you, lady who's going to bear the child of God. And praised is the child that you're going to bear because he's going to be the son of God. And we're going to give him all of our adoration and all of our praise. The first declaration outside of that angel of who this baby is. And then Elizabeth says in verse 43, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she. Now, this is the different blessed. This is the one that we find in the Beatitudes. It means happy and fortunate. Happy are you. Fortunate are you. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You know, can you imagine being Mary in this moment, having heard from an angel, having told probably other family members in the moment, having thought to yourself, is Joseph going to believe me? What does this even mean? Going to your cousin and getting an affirmation. Going to your cousin and getting a a confirmation of, of what the angel spoke to you. Here's what we know. Is that God's word is confirmed in community. The word of God is confirmed in community. When it's repeated, it 
matters. We sing the song, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And then you get to that spot where you literally say, repeat the sounding joy. So what do you do? You repeat the sounding joy. So what do you do? You repeat, 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 repeat the sounding joy. Like we repeat it because it matters. It's a confirmation of the joy that comes. Elizabeth repeated the words that the angel had spoken. And it's a confirmation that must have blessed Mary that what she understands is happening to her is really happening to her. Who's your Elizabeth? I said that real Southern. Who's your Elizabeth? I watch the crown. Who's the person in your life that, that confirms God's word to you? Who, who repeats the truths of God to you? My children better say our name because we're repeating it day after day, week after week. Christmas morning after Christmas morning, reading the same story, making sure that they understand the narrative and not just the plot twist along the way, but the reasons why it happened. We're repeating the sounding joy. Who repeats the truths of God to you? Philippians chapter 2, Paul is writing. We studied Philippians this summer. He's, he's writing to a church, to a group of believers, and he says this, make my joy complete. You want to make me happy? You want to make this work real well? You want to keep our relationship on the up and up? Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, confirm it, having the same spirit, confirm it, having the same mind. We're going to confirm the truths of God for each other. That's why these gatherings matter. That's why getting together as a community of faith matters. That's why this worldwide pandemic is so incredibly difficult. And that's why depression and anxiety and all the other things that go along with it are on the rise because people are not only lonely for one another, but they're lonely for somebody to confirm the truth to them, to let them know that it really is going to be okay, to let them know that we really are going to make it through this. And we've had to find new and creative ways to continue being community together. Why? So that we can continue confirming the truths of God to one another. That's why as a pastor, every single week, we're looking down the road and we're calling people on the phone and we're sending them text messages and we're sending them emails and we're dropping off stuff by their houses, leaving it on their front porch, staying six feet away because we want to let them know not only are they loved and missed, but that you have a community of faith that wants to come around you to confirm the truths of God to you. I have a hunch, and it's not because I was ever voted most popular in anything in life. I have a hunch that if hard-pressed, most of you know my name. And because I stand up here on Sunday mornings for, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes and tell stories about this word and sometimes about my family, you know some stuff about me. And I, I, I do work as a pastor to make sure I know your name and know some stuff that there is to know about you. But do you know each other? Because if y'all are relying on me to be the only person that confirms the truths of God to you in your life, you're going to be real disappointed. You're going, you're going to decide that well, he's not a good enough pastor. And so you're going to go out and find another pastor. In fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you right now, if you're looking for the perfect pastor, I can name about four or 500 in this city that are way better than me. And I would much rather you go there and be disappointed by them than be disappointed by me, right? Because we're all going to disappoint you. We are not enough. You need each other. Who else in the room do you know? We should like play matchmaker, like do speed dating. I need to make sure y'all know each other's names. I need to make sure that you know each other's stories. I need to make sure that when, when Corey needs somebody to confirm the truths of God to him, and I'm busy, one of y'all can do it. I need to know that 
Jennifer needs somebody to confirm the truths and affirm the word of God in her life, and I'm busy over here doing it for somebody else's life, that one of y'all's got her back. That the truth of God is confirmed in community, and you find me somebody without community, and I guarantee you at some point in their life, they're walking away from the truths of God. We, we need each other. These, these gatherings matter. Y'all need to trade phone numbers later today before you leave. Like, stand outside. It's pretty weather outside today. You can be six feet apart, wear your mask, take it off, whatever you need to do. But, but get out your phone and share some contact information. Know the people around you. Build a community of faith that can confirm the word of God to you. Back to the story. We've got this lady named Elizabeth, and God filled her belly with a, build a bear. No, just kidding, a baby. <laughs> and then with an incredible proclamation. It says she was filled with the Holy Spirit so that she could proclaim the praise of Jesus and confirm God's word to Mary. The two women in this story, and, and we need to highlight for one another, all the men in the room need to highlight for one another, the fact that women have a really, really important role to play in this story, and not just this story, but every single one of the Jesus stories that we encounter in Scripture. And it starts with these two ladies right here. And these two women for us are a picture of impossible things being made possible with God. We got two things that should not be happening right now. We got the barren birth. She's old. And again, I have no idea whether or not that means she's over 35 years old because when we were 35 years old and having a baby, it said geriatric on the top. I have no idea. But I'm saying at this point in life, Scripture says she's old, past the time of being able to do this. I don't know how old she is, but we've got a barren birth. And then we got a virgin birth. These two women are pictures of impossible things being made possible by God. And Elizabeth's response to that and Mary's response to that was to praise. So Mary sings a song. She breaks out into chorus. I imagine at that point that she was filled with her background dancers and she began to sing and it was a big miraculous event. And she says these words, my soul glorifies the Lord. Some of your Bible translations say magnify the Lord. And you know what that means? It literally means to make much of something. My greatest fear around Christmas, the reason why I'm such a bah humbug Scrooge around Christmas, because I am, I'll just go ahead and tell you. The reason why I am is because I look at culture all around us and I think that we're making much about Christmas, but we're making much about the wrong things about Christmas. And I get depressed and I get like seasonally, and well, it's also getting dark at five o'clock and I just don't love it because when we decide to magnify something at Christmas as a church, and as a culture, and as a people. And you notice I said church because we do. Church, we magnify the wrong things at Christmas. We glorify the wrong things at Christmas. It's like going to somebody's birthday party and bringing everybody else a gift but the guest of honor. So it says my soul glorifies, magnifies, makes much of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
And that literally just saying it twice was enough to say from generation to generation to generation to generation. It was like from generation to generation in the Hebrew, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until everybody that comes after me, generations will be blessed. It says in 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm and he has scattered those who are proud from their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. All we're talking about is how God elevates the humble and squashes the proud and God brings up the humble and squash. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, etc., 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 just as he has promised our ancestors. And then it says Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. And if you do that math, six months pregnant, Mary comes to visit three months later, she might have got to be there for the birth of John. God took two really impossible situations and did even more impossible things. And I put a list for you in your worship guide. The the first impossible thing that he did is he chose the lowly. This was not a pickup basketball game at the gym where you're looking around to see the tallest and the youngest and the fittest and the best shooter. God did not choose the best. He chose the lowest. God chooses humble people. Humble people choose God. God chooses humble people. Humble people choose God. In 143, Elizabeth's like, why am I so favored? She's humble. In 48, Mary's like, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Like, like I'm a humble girl. And he thought about me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul writes, his brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Like right when, when God called you, when he recognized you, when he noticed you, when he heard you. Think about what you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. All throughout scripture, God chooses the humble and then the humble choose God. He starts by choosing the low. He's still doing that. The next thing he does is he extends mercy. It seems impossible, but he did because people did not deserve it. In 150, Mary says his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation to generation. That God is extending mercy. You want to know what that word mercy is in Scripture? It's literally compassionate love. Here's our advent. God is extending love through the gift of his son. And if you want to know about impossible things, there's nothing more improbable and impossible than that for an unlovely people like us to be loved by almighty God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, for the cross-reference after cross-reference, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy, in his compassionate love, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You want to talk about impossible things being made possible? We've got a barren birth. That's a big deal, but it had been happening throughout scripture. We got a virgin birth. That's a big deal. It had never happened before. It had never happened again, and it's a really big deal. You want to know the best birth of all? It's the new birth of every person who would recognize their sinful state And realize that the great God of this universe has determined in his infinite love to reach out to them anyway. Barren birth, big deal. Virgin birth, big deal. I can't believe I just said that at Christmas. Big deal, virgin birth. New birth is what we're after. There's the greater miracle. 
when God births himself inside the heart and the life of a sinner, that is the best birth of all. And he does that through his mercy, through his love. We do not know the Lord until we know the extent of his love for us. We do not know the extent of his love for us until we know the extent of how unlovely we are and how much mercy it took to make us his child. What else impossible thing did he do? He, he, he chose the low, he extended his mercy, and he filled his people. And you look at a people that gather together every single week to read words from an Old Testament scripture, and yet they were occupied by Rome. You look at a people who gathered every single day in their homes after dinner and they sang songs about Old Testament scripture and yet they were oppressed by a horrible government. You look at a people who proclaimed the truth that God was going to one day send a rescuer to them. And now you've got a little virgin girl, not even married yet, saying, God is filling us in the middle of our poverty, in the middle of our oppression, in the middle of our debt. God is filling his people so that he can fulfill his promises. She quotes it. Why does she quote it? Because she knows it. The reason she knows it is because her dad got a little figurine set every single Christmas at their house, and he pulled it out, and he read the little story, and she would go, Mary would run through her house, and she'd go collect all the characters. No. But you better believe she knew it. She knew the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. She could have told the story herself. In fact, she was being prepared to go get married so that she could have kids, so that she and her husband could pass that story of faith on to them. In the middle of Roman occupation, in the middle of our Great Depression, God was still fulfilling his promises. And so in the middle of her song that she's singing all these great things about God, what does she reference? She says, Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She recognized that the birth that's happening in her is the fulfillment of the promise promises of God. He's there and he's doing it. That same story, that same song, those same words that she had read and recited week after week her whole life, it was coming true in her in the most magnificent way. The most magnificent thing about this Mary song is how much she made of God and how much she recognized what he was about. You know, in this moment, Mary still only knew in part, but she celebrated and she magnified in full. The problem with Christmas is that we know in full, but we only celebrate and magnify in part. Here's a girl that didn't even know how the story was going to quite unfold. And she's magnifying and celebrating God to the fullest. And we know the full narrative of the story. And yet there are moments when we only submit and celebrate in part. Every single part of what she celebrated that God was doing through this song, we should literally set this to music and sing it out loud. Maybe somebody already did. I don't know a lot of songs. It's on Spotify. Go look it up, Mary's song. Okay, like what we should do with this song is understand that every single part of it, it's in your notes, was a reflection of the tender love of God. 
and it solicits our totally loving response. The tender, miraculous love of God solicits our totally loving response. Ephesians chapter 2 says, because he is rich in mercy, because of God's great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ. Even while we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace that we've been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, impossible riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. That's the word mercy to us in Christ Jesus. This Advent candle is all about the unmerited favor, the grace of God, the compassionate, tender mercy, the love that he gave us. We have not truly heard the message until we truly believed in Jesus. We have not truly believed in Jesus until we have understood the extent of God's great love for us. And we cannot understand the extent of God's great love for us until we recognize how low and unlovely we really are. And those who've heard are the ones who've believed and submitted. They rejoice, like Elizabeth, like Mary, to find the love that God has given. And then we can't help but live for that love out in our everyday lives. Paul wrote in Colossians, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all God's people. Where there is faith, there will be love. Where there is a baby, there will be a builder bear. The thing you love the most in life will be magnified by your life. And it's okay that when Nora Blake was five years old and her baby brother was born, that she still loved the Build-A-Bear a little bit more. It's not okay for us today to look at around the rest of the world and all of our cultural expectations of Christmas and magnify that more than the way we magnify Jesus. If we're magnifying all that more then we are magnifying all of this. It's because we haven't truly heard the message. We need to read the story one more time. We need to go on a hunt and find every single one of those characters and bring them back into the story until we know it and can recite it, until we sing it, until we magnify it. The birth of Jesus is the very best news for us because it was the picture of God's compassionate love that we needed that we would be nothing without. If the birth of Jesus is the very best news for you, you have absolutely heard that message, then you have submitted your whole life to it and it will be the thing that you magnify the most. It will be obvious. We'll all know it we will confirm it. We will affirm it as your community of faith. And sometimes the people out there in the world will be offended by it because you make too much of it. When it is the thing that we love the most, it will be the thing that we magnify the most. We don't truly know it unless we're out there magnifying it.
Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for a chance to, to be in a place and to read out loud your word and to experience your truth and to know that this story and all the familiar parts of it are meant to be that way. It's supposed to be the most familiar story because it is the most important story. Lord, we ask today as a people, um, confirming what we believe about you, to forgive us when we make more about the things in the world than we do about you. We want to magnify you, God, and the love that you've given us in your son. And so we tell you today, as lowly and as imperfect as we are, that we desperately need you to fill us the way that you did, Elizabeth. We need to feel something stirring in our stomachs, leaping for joy at every single thought and expression of you. Every time the, the word is spoken, the baby inside us needs to leap. Every time the truths are confirmed to people in our community of faith, the joy inside of us needs to turn over. And so God, make us a people who are just so excited about you and one another. May the faith that we have in you be accompanied by the love that we have for one another. And may we go out and be a people who make much of Jesus. Because this story matters more. And so Father, we pray today that you would kindle in us a filling of your Holy Spirit. And use us in the world to help people know that you are real and that you love them too. It's in the name of your precious son that we pray. Amen. At this point in our service, we're going to continue our time of worship through giving. Um, this is a moment when tithes and offerings are collected, and we do that safely. It's a, it's a one person touching the basket, going row to row. And what we ask is that you would, as a guest with us today, simply put in that connection card that Tiffany mentioned earlier in the service so that we can get to know you better and reach out to you later this week and tell you a little bit more about what God's doing at the Nashville campus of Rolling Kills. For those of us who call this our church home, it's a chance for us to give back to God's work here because we trust that he can do more with our resources than we can. And so out of obedience and out of love, we give back so that his name can be magnified. Father, thank you for this day. And as ushers come forward to collect tithes and offerings, we ask that you would accept this gift in the manner in which it's given freely, um, out of obedience but not obligation, and ultimately out of love for you because you first loved us. Would you take it and multiply it? Use it to do great things so that your name can be magnified in the world that we live in. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.